Welcome back to Bite Size Crypto, where we talk about all things crypto and occasionally also all things mom, just for kicks. <laughs> Today, I want to talk about a token because a lot of people are confused as to what is the difference between a token and an NFT and a smart coin and an altcoin and all sorts of other things that have been mentioned in crypto. So I want to break it down and talk about what tokens are and then the types of tokens that you might run across. So technically, token is just another word for asset. It's uh, another word for a, a piece of cryptocurrency. Um, but increasingly, uh, token has also taken on a few like slang meanings as the crypto world has developed. So um, token can mean, you know, essentially an asset on a chain, but it can also refer to any cryptocurrency besides Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, Bitcoin and Ethereum are technically tokens, but because Bitcoin and Ethereum were the first two chains, people began to refer to anything else traded on any other chains after those two as tokens. So just be aware, some of this is slang parlance, and it's just important to know. The other increasingly common meaning for token um, is is uh, a token uh, definition that describes crypto assets that run on top of another cryptocurrency's blockchain. So if you are in DeFi, and this can be very confusing, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin has its own dedicated blockchain, but there are some DeFi tokens that were actually built on top of other chains, coded on top of other chains. For example, Chainlink and Aave, these are tokens that are actually run on top of an existing blockchain, which is Ethereum. So that's the second way you might see tokens referred to. And finally, tokens, they help decentralized applications do everything from automate interest rates to sell virtual real estate to create chains, but they can be held or traded like cryptocurrency. And that's where things can sometimes get confusing because it's hard to know what the difference is between trading a token and a Bitcoin. So let's talk about the types of tokens that you might run across and why each one is important. Let's start with DeFi tokens. So we have a new world of cryptocurrency-based protocols, right? Where a lot of people are like, hey, let's take the banks out as the middlemen and let's have transactions move straight between wallets. This is great, but these protocols have to issue tokens because these tokens perform a wide variety of functions across different chains. For example, you might buy a token that simply represents that I understand this new chain is being created and I intend to buy some some of the coins of this new chain when it's out. It can literally be almost like a gift card, like I represent that I will make a future purpose or a future per purchase, sorry. So that is the first way to think of a token. The second way is by looking at governance tokens. So what are governance tokens? These are specialized DeFi tokens that are given to the first users in any sort of crypto company. So when you have a company and you're just starting, you need to get what's called your first movers, the people that are going to be on the ground floor. And the way to incentivize them in the Web3 space is to give them tokens, specifically tokens that give holders a say in the future of a protocol or an app. So think of this as 
almost like token holders becoming your board of directors, right? Um, there's a there's a savings protocol named Compound, which issues a token called Comp, and this gives everyone a vote in how Compound is upgraded, right? The more Compound tokens you have, the more votes you get. I learned this from Coinbase.com. But there are other ways that this can happen as well. For example, on Entertainment, which is a new uh, you know platform that is redesigning TV and streaming, executive tokens are held by 250 people making up the advisory board of the company. Why would someone buy this? Well, you get some pretty critical voting rights, but also as TV is redesigned, various different people who want to retrain in Web3 will want to have a front row seat. So that's why they might buy a governance token. Let's talk about the third type of token, which we all know about, but we don't realize. NFTs. What does NFT stand for? non-fungible token. So NFTs represent ownership rights to a digital asset, right? So we talked about how NFTs are files kind of jammed into the blockchain in between transactions, and that's true. But tokens are actually what an NFT is. And so it can be very difficult when you look at something and say, gosh, I could screenshot that picture. Why am I buying it? The reason that NFTs are so interesting is they create digital scarcity. So when you buy an NFT, you're not actually buying the file itself. You're not buying the JPEG. That's just sitting on a website somewhere. You're actually buying that JPEG spot on the blockchain, which is the token, right? So NFTs can be used to issue collectibles, artwork, virtual items, sound files, but essentially they are tokens. They are spots on a blockchain that represent ownership of something that has a specific amount. There's not an indefinite amount of that thing. There's a specific amount of that thing. Finally, there's security tokens. So security tokens are a new class of assets. They they claim to be the crypto equivalent of like stocks and bonds. And their main use case is to sell shares in a company. So if you're buying into an ICO or an STO, like we talked about on a previous um, podcast, you would use a security token. It, it's very similar to fractional shares that are sold, you know, in conventional markets. Um, it could be used in real estate, could be used to fund a new company. Essentially, if you use a security token, you don't need a broker. So this is another case of removing a middleman. And major companies and startups have been investigating using security tokens as alternate forms of funding. So let's review. There are all different ways that tokens can be used, but in the end, they represent a store of value on a chain. Now, you might hear of a few other just terms as you move through things. For example, utility tokens. These are thought of as coupons or vouchers, but they're essentially digital units representing a value on the blockchain. A utility token can also be similar to a utility NFT, which is an NFT that gets you something in the real world, for example. You might also hear about asset-backed tokens. These are tokens that are backed by real-world real estate or art or carbon or credits or commodities as an underlying value. They can be like silver or gold. They can be tradable, but they're backed by something real. Uh, So I'll stop here. But tokens can be very confusing. And if you have any questions, we are happy to answer them at bitesizecrypto.nft. There are new tokens being created every day. For example, the new trend is payment tokens, right? Which uh, is used for buying and selling goods and digital platforms without an intermediary. There's 
There's new ones created every day. Monero, you know, alongside Ethereum and Bitcoin. So it's best to keep up by following the chatter on our board on Facebook. You can head to Reddit. You can continue to just lean into the crypto parlance as you find it if you stay in the communities um, that we are recommending on our social media. This is Bite Size Crypto. Hello and welcome back to Bite Size Crypto, where we are always seeking out the most fascinating women in Web3, crypto, and blockchain from all around the world to talk to on this podcast. Today's guest is Emmanuel Gann. She works for the World Trade Organization and she works in blockchain for trade. Emmanuel, tell us a little more about what that means. Yes, hi Genevieve, and thank you for having invited me to uh, to be here uh, on this uh, on this podcast. Blockchain for trade, or I should say DLT, digital ledger technology uh, for trade, um, it can be truly powerful. It can really transform international trade. And so, what I'm trying to do is to look into the opportunities that the technology opens for international trade, but also the challenges that may arise uh, with the use of this technology and the the right ecosystem that needs to be in place in order to promote the use of blockchain for trade. And when I say the potential can be huge, it can be huge in several uh, respects. First, when it comes to supply chain transparency, we all know that supply chain are are very opaque. um, And um, we, we saw with the pandemic that there's really a need for greater insights into supply chains and and more transparency along the entire supply chain. Now, blockchain has the potential to increase transparency for customers um, to build consumers' trust. Right now, if you go to a supermarket to buy, I don't know, some chicken, for example, uh, there's very limited information on the packaging. Now, Mm -hmm. with blockchain being used to really track the chicken from farm to fork, you can have the entire history of Mm -hmm. A chicken being packed and processed, uh, which for consumers is increasingly important. But it's also being used, for example, by big retailers to track tainted products. It used to take a few weeks to see where a problem was coming from when there was a, an issue with the supply chain. With blockchain, you can actually do it in a matter of hours. That's what um, um, what some some experiences have shown or some people using the blockchain have have seen. And it's very useful also to to fight piracy and and counterfeiting. So it it does have uh, some very interesting applications when it comes to trade. But another application beyond supply chain transparency is the potential of the technology to uh, truly digitalize trade. Trade, in particular international trade, is very complex. Um, It's still very labor, paper intensive. There are multiple actors being involved. um, And it's still very paper-based. If you want to ship a container from Mombasa to Rotterdam, you end up with a pile of paper that is 25 centimeters high, according to some studies. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot of paper. It's a big pile, right? (laughs) Yes. And, And to make things worse, very often the goods arrive before the paperwork actually arrives. Uh, So if we can get rid of paper, that would be brilliant. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the big problems is that um, it's very easy to forge paper, to copy a document. Um, And we've seen some big scandals, for example, in Asia with bills of lading, which are critical documents in international trade being forged uh, 
to get double financing. Now, with blockchain, you solve this double spending problem. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of activity in that space to uh, try and see how blockchain can be used to digitize trade documents and digitalize trade processes by allowing all people to interact on a peer-to-peer basis uh, directly. So be it for trade finance or transportation logistics um, or, or insurance. So the many, many applications in the trade field or even customs. There are some interesting projects uh, in relation to customs. I'm sure there must be. You know, it's funny. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the baby formula shortage here in the United States. So we have a baby formula shortage going on. I've heard about it. (laughs) Yes, it's it's actually quite scary because a lot of people were wondering, where on earth did this come from? Why is baby formula affected? And I recently was listening to an interview where um, someone was saying, if only we tracked some of this better. So this, this is the application that the blockchain can do then, huh? About transparency, about where did these packages, you know, move and where did that, where did the the problems start, I suppose, in a supply chain? Yeah, so it can provide end-to-end transparency of the entire supply chain, uh, which which would be extremely valuable. Uh, And uh, we see a lot of different applications in that field, uh, be it for uh, for diamonds, agricultural products, um, raw materials, um, manufactured products. There's there's a lot of activity in that space. we still need to see uh, more happening in terms of the, uh, the the connection of the different stakeholders. So most of these transparency projects are um, for a particular product. Uh, but we, when you talk about international trade, you talk about crossing borders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have a number of different stakeholders involved, uh, including customs, for example. And so we need to see more coordination between the different stakeholders being involved in blockchain projects, uh, be it for transparency purposes or for trade finance purposes or or customs. Um, And this is, at the moment, um, I would say an impediment to to more progress towards trade digitalization and, and true transparency. Yeah. And when you think of customs, you think of the fact that it's very government oriented, right? There's a lot of different players in that that are probably more traditional in terms of how they think about tech. Um, it's it's funny. Do you anticipate that it's going to be easier or harder to walk certain government agencies like a customs department through how to how to use blockchain to track things? D- does it look difficult for them or, or is it more like just filling out a couple different forms in a different area? So there's increasing interest, but this started after the private sector, clearly. So we first saw a lot of activities on the private sector side. Um, and uh, I was talking to a few customs authorities a few years ago, and they were more in a wait-and-see attitude. Uh, but there's an increasing interest from government agencies and customs, in particular in this technology. And we actually um, did a survey with the World Customs Organization that we published um, a couple of months ago. Um, where we surveyed customs authorities and asked them uh, to what extent they're using advanced technologies, not only blockchain, but also AI and and IoT, to facilitate customs processes. Now, only two reported full deployment of the technology, but about a third are working on proofs of concept um, or, uh, or pilot projects. So they're coming to it little by little, and I hope that more will be looking into this technology because, as I said, they're a critical player when it comes to international trade. So we really need to have them on board. We really need to have customs that use um, 
and this technology be familiar with it and have all the different stakeholders uh, cooperate uh, in order to digitalize trade across borders. Yeah, I love that that phrase, digitalize trade across borders, because, you know, um, one of the things I love about the blockchain is how global it is. Um, I was actually uh, at a talk yesterday where, where they were talking about the amount of people in the world that don't have bank accounts and mm-hmm. how Web3 and crypto and blockchain are, are really revolutionizing the idea that you, you really don't need to keep sticking your money under your mattress if you're in an area that's traditionally unbanked. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a great door opener, isn't it, in so many ways? It is, it is. But at the end of the day, technology is only a tool. And when we're talking about blockchain for trade, for international trade, to digitalize international trade, we need much more than the technology. And this is where uh, governments must step in. This is where an organization like the WTO has a key role to play, because we need the right legal and regulatory framework. Let me give you a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that countries have legislation in place to recognize e-signatures because otherwise you won't go very far. (laughs) To date, there are only about 60 countries that have such legislation. So this is an impediment to trade digitalization. Another example is the fact that we need uh, governments to put in place legislation that allows for electronic documents to be recognized across borders. Mm-hmm. There is a model law that was uh, developed by uh, UNC trial um, in uh, the summer of 2017, which is called the Model Law on Electronic Transferable Records, um, that provides uh, guidance and a, a model um, that governments can follow. To date, only seven jurisdictions have adopted legislation in compliance with the UNC trial model law on electronic transferable records. Mm-hmm. And without that, it's difficult to truly digitalize trade. Another uh, thing that needs to happen beyond the legal and regulatory framework that needs to be in place is standardization. We should uh, try and, um, and, and promote the use of international standards for trade documents, like the Bill of Lading, for example. In a number of cases, these standards exist. In some other cases, they still have to be developed or they are currently being developed. Uh, but what we see is very low level of adoption, which is why with the um, Digital Standards Initiative of the International Chamber of Commerce, we published a few weeks ago a standards toolkit for cross-border paperless trade to try and promote adoption of international standards. Because we need to make sure that data can be transferred from one end of the supply chain to the, to the other. And for that to happen, it needs to follow the same, same format, the same model. So we We need to have companies and governments use those international standards for for trade document and and trade data in order to truly digitalize trade. So yes, DLT, blockchain, I mean, it's a great technology that opens many new opportunities to digitalize trade, but we need more than the technology. We need the legal and regulatory framework around it. We need uh, standardization in order to ensure interoperability and um, make sure that the data can move from one end of the supply chain to the other. And so we need the right ecosystem around it. 
that's, you know, amazing to hear you talk about it. I mean, you're living it every single day. I mean, the transfer of this data, the the fact that an e-signature would be so important. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, as we close here, this is a podcast about women not being afraid to leap in, in terms of crypto, in terms of Web3, in terms of, you know, something that frankly, we, we, we have heard about, you know, there's a lot of FOMO about it, but, you know, we're... I'm not an 18-year-old guy that has all the time in the world, you know, to sit and flip NFTs and learn about this. So where should women start when they want to make a step forwards into an area like yours? Yeah, very good question. Um, I think the first step is to find the right people to support you in, in your endeavors. There are very few women, but there are more and more groups of women um, that get together to help each other. And I think this is this is truly important. And we may be few, but if we work together, if we help each other, I think we can go very far. And we're we're now entering a, a new digital era, which is full of opportunities and, and promises where new business models will emerge. So now is really the time to, to think out of the box, to think big, and for these to, to get support and help each other to make it happen. Oh, well, thank you so much, Emmanuel, for being on the show. And you can find one of those communities um, at our website and on our Facebook community page. So please head to bitesizecrypto.nft, our website, or you can head to our community page on Facebook. Thanks for being part of the show, Emmanuel. Thank you very much for having me. Hello and welcome back to Totally Weird, the ending of all our crypto podcasts where we talk about something brain-bending going on in crypto, like everything in crypto is not already brain-bending to begin with. Today, I'd like to talk about the Celebrity NFT Complex Mapping Chart, which was released a few months ago. I just find this fascinating. So, on Substack, uh, a very enterprising designer put together a chart which shows how close celebrities are to NFT makers and manufacturers, basically anyone shilling NFTs. And this chart, uh, which you can basically find by Googling mapping the celebrity NFT complex on Google, right? This chart shows just how close everybody in Hollywood is to a couple of major players that are out shilling NFTs. So let's start with Ashton Kutcher and Myla Kunis. They are behind the show Stoner Cats and the Gimmicks. Uh, Stoner Cats is minted on Ethereum. The Gimmicks is minted on Solana, and I happen to be a huge fan of both shows. I think they're brilliantly done. But Ashton Kutcher runs Sound Ventures, which is actually a VC firm that's done a lot of investments in AR, VR, and the metaverse, as well as in DeFi. And so interestingly, the two are connected. Uh, Ashton Kutcher is also connected to OpenSea. A lot of his NFTs, including the Stoner Cat ones, are connected on OpenSea, which, surprise, is where we found the Board Ape Yacht Club. The Board Ape Yacht Club leads us to Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon, who not only sat on Jimmy Fallon's show and were shilling uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club, but it also turns out that Paris Hilton is a member of PearPop. What is PearPop? PearPop is an NFT marketplace that helps people and brands engage influencers. So not surprisingly, PearPop is actually founded by Guy Osieri, who, rec 
represents Yuga Labs. Are you getting the getting the gist of this? A lot of this is very, very circular. And uh, I found that whenever you see a celebrity shilling this sort of thing, unless it's a one-off kind of strange application like Matt Damon telling us all to take on risk in the Super Bowl, uh, there's generally a connection behind the scenes to some kind of VC investing in DeFi. So let's keep following this chain. Let's talk about World of Women, which is owned by Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon has been married to, well, is currently married to Jim Toth, who is employed by CAA, who represents OXB1. This is very circular because when you think about it, there have been only a few communities that have been launched. Uh, OXB1 is actually connected to the Board Ape Yacht Club. Very, very circular again. Then we have BFF, which is a community that was started online and now includes Tyra Banks, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Myla Kunis. Myla Kunis, who is connected to Ashton Kutcher, who is connected to Stoner Cats, who is connected to OpenSea. You can see where this is going. So I'll stop here. But if you want to see this chart, it's kind of fun. Again, just Google mapping the celebrity NFT complex. I think if we took a look at this today, a few months after the chart came out, we could probably expand it 4x uh, what it is now. But just be aware. I mean, a lot of these celebrities are not buying in on their own. They are being influenced by other places to buy in. This is Bite Size Crypto.